it Brene Brown she talks about normalising that disruption mm-hmm. um, I, I don't know if disrupt, disruption is the word but and, and then going okay this this is going to happen and, and we're going to have to deal with it and it's okay to be freaked out by it and, and scared and, because um, yeah this it, is something we've never had to deal with before Thank you very much for tuning in to my Run Your Life podcast series. I really do appreciate you listening to any episode that you can. If you are a first-time listener of my podcast, thank you very much for taking a chance to listen to my podcast. I hope that you find value in it and you come back to listen to future episodes. If you are a return listener, I really do appreciate your support and for listening to all the episodes that you do. And I know many of you will share the episodes with people who you feel will benefit from listening to it. And I I couldn't thank you enough for doing this. The whole idea behind my podcast series, I've said this before, but I think it's important just to frame it up. The whole idea is to interview people from the world of education and beyond who strive for both personal and professional excellence in their work, whatever that work may be. And although I really am focused on interviewing educators on my podcast series, I've had lots of different people from various backgrounds on my show. I've had Olympians on, pro athletes, best-selling authors, motivational speakers, TV producers, artists, lots of different people from various fields. But the common thread is that every one of them is willing to do the internal work necessary to better understand themselves in order to be their best. And that's an important theme on this podcast because regardless of who I have on the show, I want my guests to have real takeaway value and to be inspired by hearing different stories from people around the world as these people pursue excellence in their chosen field. In today's show, I'm lucky to have my friend Donovan Hall on the show. Donovan and I have worked together for four years at the Coast School in Saudi Arabia. Donovan is from New Zealand. He's a former professional athlete turned educator, and I have a lot of respect for Donovan. I've enjoyed spending time with him over the past few months, having conversations about the work that we do and what we're reading, and kind of what drives us and inspires us to stay on track during difficult times. And without question, the world has faced some very difficult times with the COVID-19 pandemic. So I wanted to have Donovan on the show to talk about several things. In particular, uh, he had played professional rugby in the past, so I wanted to talk about his experience playing professional sport and how it shaped him and led to his trajectory into educational leadership, as well what he has really learned about himself over the past few months 
In regards to his leadership role at the co-school, Donovan is ed tech director for the school. So you can imagine that he and his team were faced with the enormous task of getting the school ready for distance learning. And then all of a sudden, we went right into distance learning. So it was very much learning on the fly. And Donovan speaks about that in this episode. And he also shares his insight around next steps needed to keep our school moving in the right direction. We don't know if we're going to return to distance learning or face-to-face learning when we get back to school in August, but definitely being ready for all scenarios. And that's what Donovan really dives into, the work that he and his team have done and the plans that they have to be prepared for any situation. So again, it was a pleasure to interview Donovan as a friend, but also um, just to learn more about his athletic background, his experience with professional sports, and what he has learned about himself over the past few months. So with that, let's jump right into this discussion with Donovan Hall. Okay, Donovan, it's great to have you on the podcast. And, you know, I know we've been talking the last year or so about uh, recording an episode, talking about your role in leadership, your background in sport and all of that. And I finally managed to make it happen and nail you down to a time and day. So thanks for being on the show. Uh, You're welcome. Hey, I thought we were going to do this in Hiroshima uh, back then, but uh, it never happened. But, you know, all things sort of come about. So great to be here. Thanks. Yeah. So we were, uh, for those of you listening, we were, uh, the Donovan's family and my family were in Hiroshima, Japan at the same time at Christmas. And we were planning on recording at one point and our schedules got quite busy. And then over the last couple of months, we've talked about doing it and we can finally make it happen. So I'm really interested in having you on the podcast, Donovan, you know, to kind of share your athletic background, your sport background, your role in leadership, your work at the co-school. So lots of different facets that I want to kind of talk about. Uh, so to begin, I guess I would just start with you just sharing, just to frame up the conversation, just sharing early days, anything you want to talk about early days, your family, growing up, just to set the frame for the conversation so people can have more insight about you. Um, yeah, so I'm from New Zealand, grew up in a place called Timaru, which is in the South Island, um, and then sort of round right about when I was probably about eight, moved to uh, a small, small rural town called Tamuka. It has a population of about 3,500, so uh, my mother, a solo mum, and two brothers, and um, yeah, so we moved out into the country, and yeah, I think at the time I was pretty devastated. You know, we were surrounded by a lot of land and cows and having to sort of cycle to school, you know, uh, past sort of cow pats and, and not trying to stand in them. Um, my, I had a, an older brother. He's um, two years older and a younger one. Uh, used to follow my older brother around all the time, idolise him. Uh, he goes and does one thing, I do another. Um, my first introduction to sport was through him uh, at the age of four when he was playing rugby. I used to carry the oranges for half time and um, what was I, the age difference so he was six playing tackle rugby and I was four and, nice. and so I was a I was a reserve in the rugby team and I asked my mum I said mum what's what's a reserve do and they're like well you know if anyone's injured yeah, um, then they come on and do it 
and I was like, oh, okay, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so I'd come on and bring the oranges, and, and, and to be fair, there's no chance that I was going to get on there. But, um, yeah, I think one day, I think I said, I kind of went to bed, and I kind of, you know, thought about it, I prayed, it was probably not a nice thing, but I, I prayed a few people would get sick, and lo and behold, they did, and, mm-hmm. and, 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 and I woke up, and I said, mum, it's happened, and she's like, well, I said, I'm getting on, and, uh, and just haven't looked back since that, you know, since that age of four, and playing my first game of tackle rugby, and, and with my brother, it was pretty, pretty special, I was super excited, and uh, continued to play every weekend there on after, you know, uh, until, I don't know, maybe a, a few years ago. You know, in looking at your past in rugby, how did your career kind of advance? Where did it go? So, you know, obviously being exposed to the game at an early age and then learning about the game uh, at an early age and then really starting to play at a higher level. Talk about that trajectory and and what that was like. Yeah, I think around about probably um, when I was 14 and sports sort of started to get a bit more serious for me, I was also into boxing and uh, I followed my brother, older brother to boxing and um, we went to national championships and, and you know, he, he did quite well. He, he was in general champion uh, a, a few times over and I picked up some silvers and, and so I was on the fence. I was like, you know, actually I'm going to give this boxing a go and then I sort of put my efforts into that and, and, and really missed the, the, the team you know, of, of rugby and, and didn't play rugby at all at that point? No, I, I just, I split and I said, look, you know, had a conversation with my mum, she goes, you've got to do one thing or the other, you're getting to the point where it's just not manageable and, and you really, if, you, if, if you're serious about it, you've got to commit to it, you know, and I knew that, I just didn't want to hear it, so I was like, okay, right, I'm going to commit to, to do boxing and then I'm going to put that training in and the effort and the energy there and, uh, but I, I went back every Saturday and watched my friends play rugby and, and, and really, really missed it. And so that's kind of like, actually, this is where I want to go. And, and mum was like, yeah, well, go for it. You know, you, you tried something out and you want to go back. And, and so then I, then it got sort of serious for me at, at that age. And, and I think I remember I made the New Zealand schools rugby team. And <laughs> my mum came back super proud and super, she goes, right, now it's time to get serious. You know, and I'm like, what do you mean? I said, I've just made I'm, I'm clearly, you know, pretty got to be good enough to make this team. She said, well, I've seen your pass and I wouldn't say it's that good. <laughs> so I was like, I was like oh, what, what are we going to do about it? She's like, well, I'll jump out there and, and I'll be the person you're passing the ball with. And, uh, and and so every night, you know, she jumped out there with me awesome. and, and made me pass and, and and we did it until the sort of, you know, until it got dark and, and then we came in and, and I think, you know, that, that practice and that commitment and, and, and working on skills and, and just realising you have to have to work hard for for those things you you want. Mum's an athlete. Yeah, yeah, she was like from a young age, solid mum, and, and, and take my hat off to her. She's a phenomenal lady. But she, from a young age, she really loved swimming, and she took all of us um, swimming every day, and you know, love it absolutely. In the summertime, we'd be out and swimming in lakes and rivers. Grew up around that, so she she was into netball. She was into swimming, and she was active uh, tennis as well. So. You know, whatever it is um, that we wanted to pursue, she was right there with us and, and pulling out all stops to make sure it happened. There, there were no barriers. Mm-hmm. You know? And so that means her working overtime and doing sort of jobs um, that maybe she wouldn't you know, normally want to do. But, uh, yeah, just so we had the opportunity, maybe that um, she did. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, that was pretty cool. And when you took the break from rugby to go to boxing and then went back to rugby... What was it that you learned through boxing that 
might have applied to what you were doing in rugby, even though it was very individual sport going back to a team sport. What are some of the things you learned that uh, were applicable and transferable? I think in looking at myself in, 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 you know, in boxing, in, yeah, it's very individualistic. And, and I think you have that within rugby, though, and in different team sports. Is it, what is my core role? What is my job? And, and how can I do it? And then how can I um, look back on it? Because we used to video all our boxing fights and we'd analyse it. And didn't do that in rugby. You know, mm-hmm. So what is it? Or how can I get feedback about certain things? And who can I invite to give me that feedback that I need to improve? And and um, I had a coach at the time who, who was pretty good in, in, in getting uh, people in the community to say, look, this person's a, a scrum half or a halfback, uh, and get him to come and watch my game and providing me with that feedback as well uh, for that. Uh, I think working on those skills, you know, really, really working hard. And I think, you know, transferable is that work ethic. Like I remember going to the boxing national championships, and as a, as a 12-year-old, you know, I, was, I started off with my brother and I, and we were doing two sort of 100-metre sprints. So we'd do 100, we'd come back, and we'd do another 100. And then we'd do two 400s, and then we'd go to train afterwards. And so that, that was kind of the start built up into our, our, our fitness programme. But that built up to 12, you know. like So just before, I think maybe about three weeks out to go into a national championship, I was doing 12 100s, 12 400s, and then going to the boxing gym and doing some boxing training. You know, so as a 12-year-old, putting in that, that effort and that, you know, and that commitment was... I look back and I was like, that, that's a pretty decent amount of uh, bit of work. Um, but managed it and, and had a phenomenal coach at the time who really sort of invested that, that time and energy. So, yeah, going back to that, really working on my in, individual sort of skills and, and, and getting some feedback so I can improve and, and be more effective in my job to help that team you know, do that. So, yeah. And, and you go back to rugby and then you start playing at a higher level and – uh, rugby's a tough sport and you know I played American football but we use pads <laughs> you don't use pads in rugby um, but talk about you know your later years playing the sport and what that was like the commitment required um, and what you learned about yourself during the later years of playing competitive rugby before it turned recreational again yeah so um I think later on, obviously, the, the I got the more seriously got, and, and, and then then sort of the greater commitment uh, for that, and, and then so some other things came on board, like you know the sort of strength training, the different trainings as well, and, and um, I think what I really struggled with was committing to to being a good rugby player, but also thinking about becoming a teacher, mm-hmm. you know, and, and how do I balance those two, and and how am I clear and sort of communicating with different people what I'm challenging challenged with as well um, so I, I think uh, that that was sort of quite quite difficult um, sort of difficult time to sort of deal with that um, and I was a teacher and so we're talking early 20s yeah yeah, yeah sort of I, I'd say early yeah early 20s 19 you know like 19 through to 20 21 yeah um, for that and so I, I'd um I was playing professional rugby and also became a teacher, you know, like my first year out in teaching. And I'm very fortunate to have a school who was very understanding and providing me the time to go and do that. But because I wanted to do, and I chose to, you know, I said, look, I can do both um, for that. And, and so I would go from the school and, and then jump in, jump in the uh, car and head on down to training and, and that. I think I was maybe the only one in the team that did that. You know, others were either students or they were full-time rugby players when mm-hmm. they made that decision. But I kind of saw, I saw the importance of um, the education and getting that professional side of it going as well. 
So I, I think I, I learned to sort of manage my time quite well in mm-hmm. there and try and uh, make the most most out of it. Uh, and when I had that time, really sort of focusing on what is it that I'm doing uh, for this. So I had to, yeah, I had to learn self-management pretty pretty early on mm-hmm. as well. Because then I had to fit in training and, and, and different types of training. When could I train and, and also what were my responsibilities to my profession as a teacher and mm-hmm. my first year of teaching as well. And, and realising how exhausting that is. Uh, you know, wanting to come home on a Friday afternoon and just fall asleep on the sofa. Yeah, but I've got to back it up. I've got to gain tomorrow, you know. So how can I look after myself, um, making sure I get the uh, the food, the sleep, the preparation, all of that stuff so, so I'm physically and mentally uh, all right for it. And I think, um, yeah, that, that that was a struggle. And, and yeah, understandably so when you look back on it. Yeah, yeah, national sport though, right? Yeah, national sport. So I, I, I um, again, I played um, for. I was fortunate enough to be selected for a, a team, the NPC, so national provincial championship, and we were a Div- division one side. So that's the top division uh, within within New Zealand. So um, that playing for the top team, and, and we had a phenomenal team. Like absolutely, like I think some of the world's best players in, mm-hmm. in that side. So for me, as a, as a fresh-faced 19-year-old stepping into that team was just absolutely amazing. I still remember the day when we, we sat down there and, and myself and there's an, another younger fellow was like, okay, um, and then they told us they're going to pay us. I'm like, and then they told us how much they were going to pay us. I'm like, wow, this not only is it amazing to be in with these guys, but they're going to pay us to, you know, to hang out and, and learn and, and be part of it. You know, and, and, and part of it was like, I had to get over that sort of, awestruck, you know, ness of it all. Um, I kind of had to get over the fact I was with, I think we had about eight All Blacks on the side. So, you know, um, and if you know anything about the All Blacks, they've got a phenomenal history as, um, the word is winningest team in, in history. Like, it's absolutely amazing. Um, yeah, so I was in there with with uh, a bunch of these guys and, and then getting told that I was going to get paid to do something I loved. <laughs> I was like, wow, that's amazing. amazing. But I had to get over the fact, it was like, okay, yeah, now I've got, I'm in here. Um, I've earned to be here, but I need to prove, you know, why I'm here. Um, and so, some of the training was was so intense, and, and the fact that these guys, it was full contact. Uh, it was really tough kind of stuff. At the end of the day, you know, where I've been in the classroom and I go down there as well, mentally, uh, mentally that drive it was probably about a 15 minute drive. I really had to switch on and, and focus in on, okay, what am I doing now? And, and, What's the goal of this here, and, and how do I turn up? You know, mm-hmm. how do I turn up mentally and physically? Because I'm a, I'm a fresh-faced guy, and you know they, they don't know too much about me. So how can I um, yeah, deliver? Mm-hmm. So so that was a, that was a challenge, and and, and something <laughs> that was uh, tricky at the start. Um, yeah, because just confidence, mm-hmm. and, and that I had to sort of grow and believe in myself a bit more, and. Uh, and then as that confidence grew, the excitement grew. It's like you know, I really like the challenge of playing against you know the opportunity to when you know an All Black number eight is running down there, and you get the chance to line them up and hit them. Uh, you know, I'm a little fella. I learned early on I got to go around the ankles. Yeah. They're steamrolling me, you know. So you went up the knees. Yeah, yeah. Oh, no, even even lower. You know? yeah. So I learned from an early age of doing that with my brother in the backyard. That uh, he's gonna um, yeah. So. So that, um, you know, as my confidence sort of grew there, I sort of found a, a place there, you know, and, and sort of felt I belonged because at the start I was like out of my depth. Oh, anyway. Yeah, and what what do you think, you know, when you look at your the strengths that you developed within yourself when you were playing, what were some of those strengths that were developed and 
deepened once you started that pro journey? Um, I think, um, you know, something I think deepened is, is just that commitment that's needed, you know, um, to yourself. And, and one, one thing I really liked uh, about some of the, the players that there is, you know, while I achieve success, and I, and I and again, going back to some of the world's best players in there, they were so approachable, so humble, so down to earth. And I think, you know, that sort of really resonated with me. So, um, you know, when, when I'm achieving success, when I'm doing well, how can I stay grounded, you know, with, with who I am and, 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 and what I believe in and, and but thinking about that hard work and that integrity and being honest with myself about that. You know, and I think that kind of deepened, you know, for me. And I, I really sort of, looked up to those people within the team and, and within the sport there who are absolute phenomenal athletes but at the core of it just fantastic people mm-hmm. you know and I think that's kind of what I was sort of aspiring to be you know and the success that I had and and um, you know at the time is how, how sort of down to earth how approachable I was and not being complacent you know and, and I think you know, one of those sort of values is growth Mm-hmm. So how am I growing as a person um, there and that there as an athlete and, and what am I learning about you know this awesome opportunity that's presented in front of me? So that I think I think you know some of those things there. Yeah. What was it like when you knew? And this is what a lot of pro athletes or people striving to be pro ultimately face is recognizing when the their dream to play pro forever has come to an end, you know? Um, so what was it like when you ultimately had that fork in the road and to say to yourself, you know, it's been a great ride, but it's time for me to pursue something else. What was it like saying goodbye to that other side yeah well it happened kind of in a couple of phases you know so I, I played national provincial championship but I did play the super rugby which is the international I was sort of on the cusp of that year and didn't quite quite make it so it's sort of dealing with that and, and then sort of being okay how, how do I get to that and how do I commit myself because it wasn't all, all plain sailing you know there, there were sort of ups and downs and um, and, and things you know that I, that I missed and, and, and disappointments um, for that, but but I saw at a stage there was sort of some political things and happening, and, and some of the stuff was out of my control. And I'm like, okay, what can I control? Okay, I can control, uh, I can stay here, or I can go. And I and I played, went and played for a Division Two team, so it's a, a second year team within New Zealand had a uh, an, an internal transfer, and I think that kind of happened at the the time of nine um, eleven, and I was looking to go overseas, uh, go overseas then, and then to play. Yeah, to yeah. go and play. And then there was like, uh, at the time, thought, well, actually, I might just stay around New Zealand for a while. So I stayed in for another two and a half years and, and travelled to a different part of New Zealand and played there. So that was, it wasn't the same intensity, but it was it was still semi-professional and, and I was still teaching at the same time. So all the time I'm, I'm playing rugby, I'm teaching, mm. you know, for that. That, that didn't change um, for that. So... That was kind of one where it was, I suppose, maybe a tear down, um, but but still involved. Got to uh, be part of the team and uh, in a semi-professional setting, and then the, the next half, two and a half years later, I took a sabbatical from the job and, and, and went overseas. And I and I realised that once going overseas, um, you know, 
there would be less opportunity for me to mm-hmm. do that. Uh, moving to Europe, uh, I didn't have any European ancestry, so playing professional rugby would be quite difficult because of the quotas that they had. Uh, but it's an opportunity maybe I, I went over and joined a rugby club, but looked at it, so this is an opportunity for me to explore different things, uh, travel, uh, experience different cultures. Connect with different. new people. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And, and, you know, the, the wonderful thing about sport and, and, and you know, for me, rugby is that... The, and I've really been appreciative of it in Cast where we are here in Sudan and Angola and, and Bristol in the UK uh, because of sport uh, and getting there it was really quite easy for me to integrate into a community mm-hmm. now, where some people go in there and they don't really get to know the people that you know through through sport and through rugby and, and these you know these different uh, places I've been quickly I've been able to sort of assimilate into that community and, and, and get to know people you know, and, and learn a bit about their culture and, and fortunate, and, and that's all through, for me, sport and, and connect with different people. Uh, so while I wasn't playing professional, uh, there's still still that community, that camaraderie, that teamwork, um, you know, and, and training, you know, in an amateur in the UK and, and, and absolutely horrendous conditions. Yeah. You know, and you look at it, and, and I'm sure you've been in those and plenty of people out there have been. But, uh, you know, at the end of the day, uh, those memories you share with people and going through that stuff, uh, I think it's absolutely fantastic. So, yeah, I mean, I think I was just going to be honest with myself and, and then uh, it, it took me a while to deal with that mm-hmm. and, 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 I, and I made all sorts of excuses up, you know, and mm-hmm. I, I went back to um, a coach of mine in younger days like, and, and said, at the end of the day, you can't lie to the mirror. Yeah, yeah. So, and and looking at myself and, and, and being honest with with where I'm at and, and where my ability is, I said, yeah, okay, that's where I'm at. And you did the best you could do, and you stretched it out. And yeah, yeah. I, I mean, maybe if I committed a bit more in certain areas and made certain mistakes, but I'm a big believer in things happen for a reason. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and I'm comfortable with that. So yeah. yeah. Well, it's interesting because we have slightly parallel paths in the sense that. Uh, you know, I'm playing American football and uh, I played in university and I say American football. I'm so used to saying American football outside of North America. But, you know, my dream was to play, uh, be a quarterback and a punter in the professional football. And I, I had my tryout and I, I did OK in the tryout, uh, but I was just gobsmacked by the level of play when I got there. And it was such a privilege to be able to throw the football in that setting. And in looking back, I felt that I had an arm and a leg that could compete with the best in the league, but it was just wasn't meant to be. And when I started my journey abroad, I was going to go to Belgium and play pro there and do some coaching. And then Neela, my dear wife, um, wanted to go to Japan and made the decision to go to Japan. And I was like, I thought we were going to go to Europe. I had this gig lined up. I was going to go play there. And now you're going to Japan. And I was really upset. And then I thought, oh, well, I heard they have football there, pro football there. So I ended up going to Japan, followed her there, met the Hiroshima team, but I wasn't allowed to play as a foreigner. So I could go out and coach. And then one year led to the next that led to import players being allowed to play 
And the team brought me a bag of equipment and said, please come and play Andy son, come and play. And I was like, I'm so done now. I don't want to play competitive anymore. But the great thing is that when you were in Hiroshima, you met some of my teammates who came out for, to see us. And that's why this whole international like sport, you know, through sport, I was able to connect with wonderful, beautiful people in Hiroshima that love the game of football. And every year we go back, whenever we go back, they come together for a little reunion. And in December, you were there and you met some of the players. So I was able to end up playing like touch football, but at a pretty competitive level, which was still rewarding. But it was more so the experience of of meeting and connecting with these wonderful people that I never thought I would ever be a part of, you know? So I think that's what you're saying. You experienced once you knew that it wasn't about playing pro anymore. It was about the experience of connecting through sport. Yeah. And I think, um, yeah, absolutely. I love the competitiveness, the sport. And, you know, I think about the current situation we're in right now and, and that and the teamwork and coming together to overcome things and, and face adversity, you know, and all these things from teams um, in there as well. Uh, yeah, I think it's always been about the people, you know, and, and the different people you meet. And, and, and that's the wonderful thing. It just doesn't, that, that doesn't change, you know. I suppose you, you, you're still not competing to the, the level and, uh, for that, but it's connecting with those people. Uh, yeah, it's very special. Yeah, for sure. So if we were to kind of jump into and, I definitely wanted to talk about the sports side of, you know, your experience and uh, your journey. But in jumping ahead to kind of your work in education, um, can you kind of talk your, about your current role at the Coast School, how long you've been at the Coast School, and your trajectory into that role? Mm-hmm. So at the Coast School, I'm currently the Education Technology Director uh, and I've been here for, this is my fifth year. Uh, so I came in as a, a grade four uh, homeroom teacher, and I was in there for, for a number of years, and, and, and an ed tech coach uh, position came up, and, and so I'd done some previous technology integration into international schools uh, for that. So I applied for, for a position as ed tech coach, and initially didn't get it, didn't get the first one. Um, and, you know, understandably, uh, a little disappointed, but... Yeah. And thought, okay, right, yeah, things again happen for a reason, and I gave it my best shot, and it just didn't work out uh, for that. And then the following year, uh, the position came up again. I'm like, right, let's have another go. You know, what is it? What is it that maybe in trying to sort of think about myself and, and really clearly painting a picture of my strengths um, that I didn't do there so far? So I did a bit more work around the interview process and, and thought about, okay, the coaching role, what are some things there? But you also did the training with the Principals Training Centre yeah. too, so yeah. that was very much a part of your trajectory as well. Yeah, I think it comes back to what I talked about before, that growth. You know, mm-hmm. um, and, and thinking I'd, I'd sort of had different leadership roles in previous other international schools and, and schools in, back in New Zealand and, and in the UK and my, and my work there. Uh, for that, so that was about me. That that PTC training was like, okay, am I interested to continue this conversation? Is this an area where I want to go back and 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 just sort of you know dip my toes in and then being excited by it, you know, for that. So I sort of had I had that, you know, I went went away and did that over the summer and and the year um, looked into some more about the coaching and, and 
the models were around there that they were looking at was Jim Knight. Yeah. Uh, just just learning a bit more about that and, and, and the role as a coach, uh, and then talking to my strengths and, and history about that in the interview, and, um, and and then fortunate enough to to get the position of ed tech coach and and uh, thoroughly thoroughly you and appreciated the opportunity, and then and then the ed tech director role um, came up. Uh, and looking at that, uh, absolutely humbled by being approached to to have have that opportunity. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and so, yeah, what a fantastic opportunity! Um, <laughs> loads to learn, loads to learn. And I look, it's nearly a, a year into it now, um, and I was very fortunate enough uh, to work alongside Steve Shepard, who was a previous tech director, and, and shadow him. And then he was very, very generous with his time, you know, giving me and, and helping onboard me and. Uh, some of the things there as well, and, and pretty so, calm, dude. Yeah, they, <laughs> I, I, was, I was very, very fortunate. Not everyone gets the handover like that. Yeah. <laughs> I'm currently, yeah. So I, I was very fortunate for that, and, and that put me in a, in a great position. I knew a lot of the people and the processes and the systems. Not to say that doesn't change in certain things, but um, yeah. So, so moving to that role this year, you know, um, it's <laughs> and that's where everything just because you started off. You know, we we started off the year. I thought we were doing some really good things, and then, boom, oh. right? And the COVID nineteen crisis and the whole theme of this podcast series is all about in times of uncertainty. And if sport doesn't prepare you for uncertainty, nothing will in life, right? Yeah, <laughs> because you can be leading a game by by uh, you know a mile, and then they get their game plan together and then all of a sudden it's you know you're back in it and competing but you know when you think about how quickly things can change that's how quickly it happened for us and it happened for every school around the world where it was literally just a domino effect right Um, so talk about being in your role finding your roots having success, and then having this thrown on your plate? Yeah, so, I mean, yeah, like you said, collectively, the whole world was having to deal with this. And um, and obviously it started in Asia and China first, and they were, there was significant disruption then. And I know in talking with other people around the world, we were, we had a little bit of grace of time. You know, so we came back from our, our break and our winter break and then th- and as, a, as a leadership team and, got together and thought, you know, this is coming our way. Let's get ourselves prepared. And you were in, in, in those meetings and, and how can we get ourselves organised and buy ourselves time and make sure we're in the good position that we are. Uh, we, we were really fortunate that we had um, some good systems already in, some platforms. So elementary school was using and kindergarten Cecil and, mm-hmm. and utilising that. And secondary had uh, Google Classroom, so learning management system um, for that. And so I think we were pretty secure in our understanding and use of that. Um, we're in a good position. So we did a lot of work in behind the things, yourself and the other PICOs in the elementary, getting things organised and um, for that. I mean, we called it distance learning, but at the time, I suppose, I've read different blogs saying emergency learning because that's what it was. Uh, yeah. You know? <laughs> exactly. No one at the start of the year signed up for that. 
That's what George Coro said. I had George on quite a while ago, and that's exactly how he described it. It was like, let's just face the reality of the situation was, this is not distance learning, this is emergency learning. Yeah, and that's it. It was crazy. It was like, oh, now we're learning on the job, and, and this is coming. And, and, and when we knew ahead that it was coming, it was just a matter of preparing us. And I thought that we were in a, well, I, thought, I feel that we were in a really good position. Uh, all the leaders had, had worked really hard and behind the scenes and and to sort of to be calm and this is what we're doing and how we're doing it uh, and and really just sort of tapping into to different leaders and, and, and their thoughts and approaches and and then rolling it out and, and it probably for us came in. A little but can bit I early. can I take a game timeout right there? Yeah, I'm just putting a timeout because. For me personally, going through those meetings and and feeling and having the conversations about we have to be prepared, you know, this could happen, right? Mm -hmm. And then it happens. Yeah. And to be honest, it happened much sooner than I thought it was going to happen. And that's what a lot of schools experienced. But it threw me off in the sense that it was so sudden and so hard. And then all of a sudden... Very grateful that we had done the background, you know, the, the work behind the scenes, but it happened much quicker than I thought it was going to happen. So, and nobody knew when it was going to happen. No, but how how was it for you and your role? Did it, did it also happen much faster than you thought, or were you just truly prepared for it? Um, I, I was prepared for it to happen quicker than than, than people were expecting, and yeah. and. and uh, and the reason being is that I, I, I caught up with the previous principal at that school in Sudan, and he's um, Simon McCloskey. He's, he's um, teaching in South Korea, and, and, and chatted with him on Skype. And, and he was talking to him where we were at, and, and, and what's happening, and the discussions around the admin. And, and, and he was he was just sort of providing me with insight of what they've gone through, and, and you know, and different takeaways. And it was absolutely a fantastic conversation with him. And, and I was just and he was just sort of forthcoming with everything. And, and, and one of the things is like, look, this this will happen a lot quicker than what you think. Mm-hmm. Now I'm going, and, and and now I, I do a lot of, with these meetings. I'm writing down lots. I'm reflecting, going back and having a look, and I go, okay, what are we what are we looking at? Where are we at? It's like, okay, we're in a good place, but we need to quicken things up. We need to get things going, and and this this will come sooner uh, than we expect. And, and so then I went back and, and had a conversation with different um, you know admin within our school and said, look. We really need to up it here, and this is what we need to do. And so, actually, some of our plans that we were doing that week in the elementary was to go, okay, we are going to send home the devices. We're going to check these devices at home. We're going to make sure they work at home, and what can't they get? So we find out the flaws of our plan. Uh, and that didn't happen. You know, of course, we, we it, it probably happened three, three, four days earlier. But we were still on a good Good intentions, though. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> and that's the, that's the, the thing about it. We, we knew where we wanted to go, but it was just like, okay, we can't do that. So you just got to deal with it, you know. And I think um, there's a Brene Brown when she talks about normalizing that disruption. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I don't know if disruption is the word, but – and then going, okay, this this is going to happen and, and we're going to have to deal with it. And it's okay to be freaked out by it and, and scared and because, um, yeah, this it, is something we've never had to deal with before. Can I take another timeout? Yeah. Coach, another yeah. timeout? Go for it. That's where I want to separate because that's the fork in the road. It becomes very personal and professional. And I know in my own case, even though it happened really quickly and I knew that we were prepared, 
suddenly personally we were quarantined all of a sudden it was like you know we had a couple cases in coast and we were quarantined and then it became very very real and then the questions in your mind about how long is it going to happen for when will we see the end when will everything return to normal so now you're not only grappling professionally you're grappling personally and the personal anxiety turns into a collective anxiety which goes back to a personal anxiety professional personal and i remember going for a, a run one morning when we were right in the thick of it at the start and uh i got pretty emotional during the run and i was like i just can't believe this is happening and then trying to make sense of it all and I couldn't go to anybody's door and knock on their door and talk to them face to face because it wasn't allowed. And it was it was a really tough moment and then I finished my run and I went back and came back to the house and and then just got on with things but there is a lot of stuff going on there with people personally and professionally. You got your family to take care of, you have the anxiety of if the virus are we going to catch it? what's going to happen what do we do at the same time you have to still deliver professionally and that was a time of deep forgiveness not not forgiveness um allowance to be with family understanding of the situation everybody's interpreting it differently and that's what a lot of uh, schools are still going through it has disrupted the culture of a lot of schools in trying to work their way through this so how did that play out for you and your role and your family and your two girls your great responsibility trying to keep the school on the right track you know so what did you learn about yourself and how did that play out for you well i i think it, you know like you talk about the school being on the right track and the certain things we had to learn a lot and we had to um and within within the team that I'm involved in the you know the digital literacy team um, and their leadership, you know, and really leaning on them and, and working alongside them and the, the tech leads that we have and, and, okay, so where are we at? How do we feel about it? And and, and just trying to sort of be clear on the communication about what support is needed and, and I think some successes that we had were people being in meetings and trying to listen to what was going on and hear what teachers are dealing with as well. Uh, for that, I, I think that's a bit of a weakness of mine. You know, um, is I think who's it? Uh, Lancioni he talks about smarts. You know, and sometimes you know, I think listening to hear, not listening to speak, mm-hmm. uh, and really, you know, some of those teachers, uh, the ed tech uh, coaches that we had, really got in some of those meetings and listened to what is it what they're struggling with, and how can I help, and how can we push in and, and provide the support uh, that that's needed at the time and. and I think they did a wonderful job there, you know, and I'm talking about the ET coaches, the librarians, uh, the support mm-hmm. assistants as well. Uh, and I think it's easy to be overwhelmed and, and it's okay to be. Yeah. You know, and that's it. Uh, and and then sort of giving yourself to, sort of that space to, to deal with those emotions and, and and then how can I, you know, push in in, in a way that's, you know, supportive in uh, and, and, and a time that's right. And I think a lot of the, a lot of the tech coaches really worked hard to, to do that in, in, a, uh, in a manner that sort of helped people deal with things and, and shifted it. And I think our teachers did a phenomenal job. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, 
there was they were used to the systems that they had. There were some that they're like, oh, there's glaring gaps here. Yeah. I got to sort. I got to sort this out. And, and they they worked with each other. Um, they learned on the job. Uh, they grew. Uh, ridiculous amounts. Mm-hmm. So you know, and, and I was talking to a grade two teacher. And she's like, my, my my focus is on how can I really leverage technology to for students to sort of access learning and, and, and have greater agency in that. And she goes, that was my sort of ambition. And she goes, due to this happening, it's like wow, so much I've, I've learned so much about the students and about what they're capable of. Sometimes I've just got to provide them with the scaffolding and get out of the way of it. Yeah. You know, and, and utilize these these tools and, and she's like, so for me this is such a rich learning experience and uncomfortable and disruptive absolutely you know for that um, so I think as a school people have done really really well and not to say they haven't struggled and aren't continuing to struggle because everyone which is important to acknowledge and absolutely yeah what it was, I don't mean to interrupt, but just the one thing that really stuck out to me a few weeks ago I interviewed the director of Chadwick International School Ted Hill and Ted's a fantastic man he's you know he's led the you know chadwick international school has another campus in california uh so he oversaw the development of the uh, chadwick campus in korea and then he was hired to come here and be director Mm -hmm. or go to korea and to be director of the school and what he talked about was the same situation that that we faced here is the suddenness of it the quickness of it and the metaphor he used was like, you know, everybody, let's just hold hands and let's jump into the deep end. And if you can't swim, you just doggy paddle over to the person closest to you that can, that is a competent swimmer and grab onto them because <laughs> they're going to protect you and they're going to lead you and guide you. And that's exactly what you're saying is that everybody's in the deep end together and then you're just fluttering about trying to find support and strength and work your way through it in knowing that collectively we will get through it with the support of every individual uh, being honest with where they're at and what they need. And I think that's that's what you're describing. Yeah, and, and, and that was it. And I saw some really, really um, you know, good examples of teams coming together and providing that, that support for each other and, and working together and, and really trying to upskill each other and, and, and deal with, you know, what the, what the individuals are dealing with, you know, socially, emotionally. And, and when you think about that work-life balance and you're like, okay, I'm going to go to work and now I'm at life and your work-life is at all the same place, you know, we, we, and, and other teachers who had a bit more capacity because maybe they didn't have children, mm-hmm. putting their hand up and, and stepping forward and saying, look, I got you, you know. Um, and, and I think, again, coming back to, Renee Brown, and she talks about the relationships and the, and the family and the gap, and, and I know you 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 mentioned it too, but I kind of liken it to that. It's like, look, I'm, I'm not all here. I'm, I'm about 40, so who's got my 60? Exactly. You know, and, and, and there were examples like, okay, I'm leading. And, and I think um, I, I attended a, a webinar, or I don't know if it's a webinar, AAIE, where um, you and Matt yeah. was, and, and he was talking about that. And, and really uh, uh, utilising that middle management. And there are people who, during this time, have stepped up and they've got the capacity and, and, and they've taken leadership roles. And I'm like, okay, so how can I provide them with that space and that opportunity to lead in this time, you know, for that, you know? And, and sometimes it's, as a leader, um, you know, giving them that and saying, look, go for it. Absolutely. I, I trust in you mm-hmm. uh, and believe in you and, and the air. And, 
and so giving them the space for that to occur you know, for that. And I think with the, we have EdTech leads within the school and it's a distributed leadership role. Yeah. Um, and, and some of those people really just put their hand up and, and led and, and, and thrived in it. You know? mm-hmm. and, and, and it makes me think, it's like, okay, what have I not provided them before? What has the school not provided them before? Or how can we utilise this more often? You know, because we've been put in this situation, uh, these people uh, are now sort of really coming before. And, and not say it wasn't before, but maybe the, the, the conditions you know, that we were weren't providing or opportunities you know, weren't there. So it makes me sort of think about you know, how, how can we leverage these, you know, this more often and, and, and get them to, to lead and, and then come back to um, Notosh, you know, and talking about that middle leadership and, and having the capacity you know, to do that. So I think professionally, um, a lot of learning, um, uh, a lot of discomfort, a lot of unknown, and, and it will continue to be so. And I think when we... You, I think times of uncertainty. It's certainly going to be discomfort, you know, and we're going to come back over the break, and we don't know what that looks like. Uh, and so, how can we how can we deal with that ahead of time? How can we put ourselves in a in, in a right frame of mind? And I think areas where I haven't been so great is communication, you know, and we see the importance of communication, and 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 when I've been my communication is. Uh, emailing people when I was doing things and I was like you know what I actually need to meet more often with these people I need to check in I need to listen and learn about how they're dealing with what they're, what they're dealing with you know, mm-hmm. for that and I need to provide sort of uh, synchronous and asynchronous forms of communication so my team are able to get a hold of me and, and chat with each other and, and, and st- stay in touch so you know, that we can we can move forward on this and depending on where people are at but that and with that comes you know the importance of mental agility and it requires great mental agility because the information that we're receiving every day is very fluid and it's changing so when you say that you can do a better job communicating that's directly rooted in information changing on a daily basis right yeah and and i think that's one of the big things here to consider that every school has gone through is and every person i've had on the show about how they're leading their organizations through it has said that's one of the biggest things is that information is changing so what information can you deliver that's such an important thing for every stakeholder in the organization to know is that information is changing rapidly. So mass communication can be very difficult because it's going to change the next day. What I've learned through this is maybe it's the the structure and framework that we bring to what is our philosophy about communicating. You know, and I think that's that is something worth addressing in every school is how do we communicate and what do we say? And how can we give the, the people the support they need during this time based on information changing all of the time? So when you consider how difficult it has been and trying to balance personal and professional family and and work, how has it gone for you? And what have you learned about yourself and your family and job responsibilities uh-huh. and all of that? Yeah, um like everyone, it's been a challenge, you know, and, and having that balance. Uh, my my day started off as it normally would, you know, in the morning, but it continued to late at night. Um, so that actually the length of the day and, and how often and how long you are on for 
No, I don't. I don't know if that was an expectation. I don't think it was an expectation from others. I think it was an expectation from myself. And I was like, how? I can't be there physically for people, but how can I be there? You know, and 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 maybe for me, it's a sense of responsibility. Is like, okay, um, and it comes back to again that commitment. What is my commitment here, and, and what's my responsibility to support people even though I cannot be there? What can I do in my capacity? And and so. Like a lot of people out there, some really long hours, long, long hours and, and long days. And and, um, and and that was difficult because then I was I was upstairs in my uh, phenomenal office, uh, <laughs> which uh, I got upgraded. I was much appreciative of that. Um, so, yeah, and, and sort of thinking my kids were downstairs with my lovely wife, Monica, and they were getting through their, their, their learning. And I was a bit absent. And... That, that was difficult to deal with because mm-hmm. I had the responsibility of, and I know I'm not alone in this, you know, there's plenty of people, and, and again, back to Brene Brown, is like, well, what have we got here? You know, where are we at with with, with our 100%? And, and, and Micah, for a long long part of the time, was taking taking most of that. You know, she was she was meeting with her, her students as a teacher of INS and then supporting up to Isabel, our K2 kid, and then Emily, our, our a grade two kid with their learning. And so for me, the guilt in, in dealing with that and going, okay, uh, I'm sort of divided here. I've got this this responsibility. I, I feel that I need to be on all the time. Um, and that stayed for some time, you know, and, and, and even when we our restrictions, we had a restriction here till 3 p.m. That, that lifted and got later, you know, a bit later and then later. And, and But I, for some reason, I still felt I had to be on all the time. Mm-hmm. And you, and you know, in teaching, you can be on all the time in a normal day, anyway. You know, but I, I don't know why I, I felt that that was the that was the way, and why I did have to be, you know, always doing. That's things. work-life balance and trying to figure it out. Yeah, I, I struggled, you know, with that, and and, and, ju- and I justified it, you know, just saying, okay, I, I, yeah, I've got to, I've got to be there. I can't, I can't be physically. So this is what I got to do here. This is what I do here and there uh, for that. So I really stretched myself and and. You know, one of the things, um, less sleep, it doesn't really help. <laughs> no, it doesn't. Yeah. Scientifically, for no, the brain, no. it doesn't help either, right? No, I think it's a, you know, Dr. Matthew Walker talks about why we need sleep and the, the importance of it. I just downloaded the book. Yeah. 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 I've listened to a lot of his podcasts and yeah. a phenomenal TED Talk as well, which is a great condensed version, like an intro to him. But, you know, why, why we need sleep? And here I am going, oh, I need to go to sleep, but I need to do this. And... But I justified it, and so I, I talked back and forth with that. And um, but I got in some good habits too. You know, I got in good habits. Um, my wife and I, we went for runs, and and, uh, and she cycled. I ran, and we we connected, and we talked to each other. Mm-hmm. Uh, I got to see more about my student, you know, my, my kids' learning than I previously did, uh, and insights into their thinking, and and be involved in that. And these are things I never would have previously had. You mm-hmm. know? So. Well, there's this disruption, and and I'm struggling with the, the balance. I'm grateful for the opportunity to connect again, and again, this is not anything new. Other people are talking about that as well. Mm-hmm. Their family. I think I, I put out on was it Twitter I think last week. Emily was in the Google Meet, and, and um, before they went back, uh, she said she introduced her sister Isabel. It's such a, a sweet moment, and she said, "Hey, everyone, this is Isabel. She's like my best friend." And I was like, oh my goodness. Yeah. You know, like, wow. Uh, they, these guys have been hanging out 
in confined spaces like we had, curfew, till three o'clock. No facilities, can't go to the pool, can't do this, can't go to the beach, can't go in playgrounds, all these things that people are dealing with worldwide. You know, we're not alone here, and, and that's the wonderful thing we're collectively dealing with in different ways. You know, and these little kids, mine and many others, come out and stronger for it. Mm-hmm. You know, their way to adapt and, 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 and be better um, and, and connect with each other. So encouraging. Yeah. Um, and so encouraging for what we have to deal with in the future mm-hmm. because that's enough. You know, so I'm uh, super grateful for, for Micah and, and the effort and the energy and, and because you know, she certainly had probably, I'd say, 60, 80% of that time. And that's, you know, you talk about Brene Brown. So just to give a little more context, what Brene uh, shares is this idea of uh, you. everything is not, you know, and traditionally we always look at relationships and partnership as being 50-50. And no matter what happens, you have to give 50-50. And what Brene has said that has really uh, struck a chord with a lot of people is that's not the reality of life. And Brene uses her own life as an example where she travels the world to present and speak. And then she comes back and she's exhausted. And her husband has just taken care of the kids for the two weeks that Brene has been gone. So he's exhausted. And then she comes back and she's like, "I, I just need to go to bed. And he's like, I need to go to bed. So they're suddenly at odds. So they're both working on... 20% of their full capacity. So collectively together, they're at 40%, which means minus 60% is there. So how do you deal with that? And that's such a great thing just as a check-in in any situation with a team you're working with or with your partner or spouse is like, where are you at? And it's not going to be 50-50. A lot of times it'll be like in, in your case, working on 10% or 20% and Monica's working on 80% because she just has to be there for all the other things. And the, the check-in, the emotional check-in uh, and the energy check-in is really important. And then understanding where you can find the extra, right? Yeah. And this thing, I, I've sort of listened to the various podcasts and different things and talking about adrenaline and, you know, adrenaline gets you through, but... This is lasting for a lot longer than adrenaline sort of, you know, can kick you through there. So how can you leverage these relationships and, and, and communicate and be clear and transparent with each other about how you're feeling? And I think, you know, when we talk about communication before is, and how can I be transparent with the people I'm working with and, 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 uh, and, and the people in my home and, and, and what I'm dealing with and, and then provide them the opportunity to do that and, and, and having the culture and the environment for them to feel safe and secure to be vulnerable. And then that comes with me going, look, hey, guys, <laughs> I don't know right now. And, and, and I've said that to my team, you know, and I've said, like, uh, these are some thoughts there. And the early successes with, with us is we, we kept it really simple, you know, and, and that was based on guidance from people on my team. Mm-hmm. We said, look, now's not a time to change. Now's not a time to, you know, we, we've got these things, we've got these systems sorted, you know, and, and so let's really leverage what we've got and, and work with them. And, and, and that evolved. You know, and, and people learning up. And, we, and we've bought, when I say we've, people have bought themselves and collectively support each other up to a level where we have a um, greater consistency about how these systems can be used to, um, you know, 
to enable students to share their thinking and, and access learning. And, and I think that's some of the wonderful things. Like we, we come back to what a teacher's in. Like we, as a school, we've offered uh, GOA, so uh, Global Online Academy yeah. courses, and, and, and a lot of people's PD was cut. That was it, us, nothing, you know. And, and so a lot of our teachers enrolled in GOA, and, and so how can I upskill myself to be in a better position to support my students? And then they've realised, you know, through that, and I know the conversation with my wife is like, you know, my approach maybe was stifling my students and I need to think about how I organise the coursework. And do I do a coursework approach so that they can access access everything ahead of time and they can see it and they can work their way through it? But there's opportunities for check-ins and, and support and scaffolding and, 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 and there are different pathways. You, know, they, you have to be really prepared for that. Yeah. And you have to provide all that support. And you have to because you don't know where where no. let's say eighteen kids are going to take it. You know, absolutely no idea. But you have to provide enough resources and support and and guidance for them and, and, and the opportunity for them to do that. And I think that's that's happened. You know, uh, for that. And, and when we think about what are the residuals of this experience, I think a lot of that in our secondary school kids and like you know they're, they're far more capable of um, like actually engaging and driving their own learning then maybe we've given them credit for so maybe we need to just really think about the design of the uh, the, the learning and how we can support and and scaffold that and and then provide everything in place so that they can go and and do that and and greater responsibility and I know the words agency for that so yeah that's that's exciting sort of things that are coming out and and, and again teachers are sort of putting their hands up and, and, and getting involved and we had a great amount of people involved in that and in those continual conversations that are, that are happening. Yeah. And one of the things that I think in, in closing, I want to talk to you about what has really inspired you during this time. But before that, um, I just want to kind of commend you as a leader in the sense that something that I've always recognized in you is your ability uh, to be very calm and present. And that's where I want to kind of go back to sport and your ability to stay calm and assess and and to um, really be in the moment in a way that allows you to stay calm and take in all of the information and then respond instead of have a knee-jerk reaction. Mm. So when the heat is on and when struggles are happening and pressure is on, I think your ability to stay calm is very obvious. So how have you been able to develop that within yourself? And what skills allow you to put that into action in stressful situations? I think, um, yeah, staying calm. And, and I'll go back to my, my time in rugby and and. and being, you know, five minutes out from my my try line, and, and we're we're we've been under a lot of pressure, but having confidence in myself, you know, in my job, and then, but also having confidence in my teammates, and, and knowing you know our strengths and weaknesses, and and having that belief that we're going to get through this. You know, uh, I think I, I you. Yeah, to this day, I go back and I, and I think, I remember, I think we were, we were on like, and rugby's an 80-minute game, generally speaking. You know, we were in the 70, I think it might have been the 71st minute, and we had nine minutes to go, and we weren't winning, and it was a really pivotal game. 
and there was some people who were a little bit panicky and I was like, hey, look, we've got this. You know, and, and I, and, but I, I just knew and I trusted in, in, in the fact that people knew what they're doing. I trusted in their ability. I trusted in, in the, the plan we had. Um, and, and I knew that we weren't going to win it in the 71st game. We were in the, the A year. You know, it's a complete match. Just like this, we're going to the end of the year. You know, we're, we're still going yeah. you know, um, for that. And I just, I just, it brings me so much comfort in, in the fact that I remember at the time just reflecting and smiling to myself in that game and going, and just goosebumps because I was excited by the challenge. Yeah. You know, and, and just embracing that and going, okay, I have complete confidence in, 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 in the process. I have complete, you know, and it's all preparation. Yes. You know, it, it, it's, it, we've all prepared for this. We've all visioned you know, certain things. And some of the stuff we haven't right now, of course. Because it's uncertainty. <laughs> but no, yeah, absolutely. But, but we, we trust the process. Yeah. You know, and we've been through a process. Yeah. You know, so I think in, in being calm and, and, and for me, realizing the people around that you can lean on within, our, within the school. We, we've got some phenomenal uh, educators. We, we've got new people coming in as well who are just it's super exciting. Uh, within my team there is a vast amount of experience you know and, and so how can I sort of just listen to them and, and, and think about that and get perspective and, and go okay this is where we're at this is what we're doing and, and then you know if we need to we adapt and change and, and, and being confident that we can make the right choice and knowing that if we need to we're going to put in the work to make sure it happens yeah. you know? and again it comes back to that commitment yeah. You know, uh, and, and it kind of excites me to, to think about that challenge. You know, um, again, coming back to that moment where I smile to myself, I'm like, we got this. Yeah. You know, and I think about this. We, we, we're in this moment of um, disruption, you know, but it's exciting. Um, the fact that we've never had anything to deal with this before, um, it's scary. You know, <laughs> I've been in meetings with you, Andy, and, and we've been like, what, what's this going to look like? I'm like, I, I, I don't even know where to start. <laughs> I know. You know, and going, what are we, like, this is completely fictitious, you know, but yeah. it's not, it could be. So It's multiple know. multiple scenarios. Exactly, and, you know, yeah. that, that, that may or may not eventuate, but, but trusting the process, trusting the people, and, and um, yeah, and just, I, I think, um, you know, Someone's talked about sustaining back and really having a, a bigger picture of what's going on yeah. and thinking about that, you know. Um, it, yeah, it, it kind of excites me. Yeah, I love that. And I love that idea and a story that I will close with before I ask you the inspiration question is Joe Montana. You know Joe Montana? Absolutely. Yeah. Joe Montana was the, the guy I looked up to as a young quarterback and – um, there's a story of Joe Montana in the Super Bowl. He had already won a couple Super Bowls, so he was a bit calm. You know, wasn't so worked up going in and highly energized. He was able to control his emotions and whatever his third Super Bowl win or his fourth Super Bowl win. And his team is down by a touchdown. You know, if they score a touchdown at the end of the game, uh, they're going to win the Super Bowl. So it's the final drive, <laughs> you know, your final opportunity to put seven points on the board to score the touchdown to win the Super Bowl. And obviously, you know, pressure is there and, and emotions are running high and, you know, everybody's worked up and it's a TV timeout. So when you're watching American football, 
there's, you know, it goes to the commercial and then you're in the huddle and then you have like 30 seconds or 40 seconds and, and Joe knows this, right? And he looks and he sees John Candy. You know, remember yes. John Candy? Yeah. And he sees John Candy in, you know, first or second row and he loves John Candy as an actor and he loves his movies and he, and he's talking to the team and everybody's worked up. He's like, guys, 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 look, it's John Candy. Look, he's right there. John Candy. I love his movies. I can't believe he's at the Super Bowl. Okay, guys, let's go. Okay. We got this is a final drive. And then he brings them in, but he gives them that moment just to kind of connect and, and laugh and take a collective deep breath and then get the job done. They march down the field and they score the touchdown and win the Super Bowl. And it's such a beautiful story of being in that moment of pressure and then, you know, just recognizing it collectively and then moving forward. So I just wanted to share that. But the question that I have for you now is what has inspired you and kept you going during this time uh, to keep your engine going and uh, keep you moving forward? Um, I think, you know, inspiration is just from the, the, you know, the, the people around us, you know, and seeing what they're involved in. And uh, I'm fortunate enough because I'm across three divisions. I get to see different people sort of doing different things and that. And, and it's exciting, you know, like people coming out and, and, and doing things. And, and again, I talked about it before is the capacity. It's like they want to leave, they're getting up there, they're putting a hand up and they're like, yeah, I've got you. This is okay, you know, and, and really leading the way and, and, and trying different things and, and being innovative, you know, with that and going, okay, look, let's try this, let's do this. And, and really upskilling people. I, again, I was sat watching rugby. Uh, game this morning with a, a colleague and a friend and social distancing of course yeah. uh, but you know she was talking and she just was taking her head off to a member of the team and saying look this person just passed me their phone number and, and said look I hear this whatever you need do it you know and, and people just going out of their way for that and, and realising that we're all in different places and spaces and that you're not alone Mm-hmm. And and having that, and I, you know, I come back, go back to before, and talking about, you know, I trust, uh, I trust in the in the people in my team, I, I trust in the leaders in the school, and I, and I trust that we'll get things done, and I trust we'll grow and be better from it, you know, mm-hmm. and, and that's that's inspirational, you know, uh, for that, and, and it's exciting, you know, because here we are alongside everyone around the world, and and to different various degrees with it, faced with. Significant challenge that we've never had before, you know, and collectively sort of bring us together. But you know, like in dealing with it in, 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 in different ways, but being there to get through it. And I have full confidence that we will, you know, um, for this. And I think education will be better for it, you know, for the sure. way we approach it. I'm excited the fact that we've really given. Uh, the opportunity through, you know, this forced measure, uh, parents as instructional partners and having an insight into education, which they would never have had before. You know, how can we partner with these pivotal people, you know, and our communities to to strengthen opportunities for our students, mm-hmm. you know, and do that. And we're at Cast and 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 thinking about the phenomenal stuff that pe- that people are doing here to help fight COVID and, and, and sort of unlock that, you know. So yeah. 
you don't have to look far for inspiration. You know, I, I look I look to my own family. I, uh, I look around, and excited. You know, I, I think there's there's more inspiration around than there is the other. Yeah. So I think that's encouraging, and you know, it keeps me smiling. Um, keeps me sort of energized. Uh, when days are down, because I've had sort of days where, where where it's been down, and, and just reflecting upon that and, and thinking about you know getting through it, and, and then again I come back to the rugby. Game's not over until the 80th minute, yeah. and, and and you know wanting to to do it and do it well and you know, kick its ass, regardless of the score. Exactly. Yeah, right? you, you, just, you just bring it home. And, yeah, or and, weather conditions. Oh yeah, absolutely. <laughs> no, and, and you, that's it. It's about finishing strong. <laughs> yeah. You know, I, I had I had a PE teacher. I got accepted to to university. And I remember going back, you know, for thinking about inspiration and something to carry is like, you know, making sure you finish your you and finishing it up. And so there's plenty of inspiration from from plenty of people, um, and that's encouraging. Yeah, I love it. I'm excited about it. Yeah, where can people find you on social media? Um, I'm at Donovan Hall NZ. Uh, that's Twitter. Uh, I haven't been as frequent user as I should be. Uh, I did a phenomenal job many years back uh, and really sort of contributed, but I'm trying to get more connected. Are you Instagram? Instagram? Um, Yeah, I am. I'm the same on Instagram as well uh, for that. So that's, yeah, I'm learning learning about the Instagram space. My wife's well ahead of me uh, on that one there as well. But, uh, yeah, yeah, mostly mostly Twitter. uh, And I'm in the process of, re trying to kickstart my own blog. Uh, I started it. that a while ago as love part of the co training. Um, and just helped me to deal with my own thinking and I find myself doing a lot of writing and doodling now. Yeah. And, and dealing with my thoughts. Uh, and I find it quite liberating. Yeah. You know? Absolutely. And that's so, yeah. one of the things that the conscious check in, you know, and just really during this time, and that's something that I've tried to do, and I've been inconsistent. I've been mostly consistent, but just doing that that check-in with um, where am I at, what, how am I feeling, what am I doing, what am I focused on, but uncensored free write. And the uncensored part is, <laughs> is, is difficult yeah. because, you know, I, it's very personal writing. So I've switched instead of doing my my journals, I've switched to uh, doing it as a Google Doc because it's really personal, right? And that has really helped me uh, uncensored, you know, just put it out there and how I'm not put it out there to the world, but put it down on paper, so to speak, um, with how I'm feeling and how I'm dealing and how I'm moving forward. So. Uh, Donovan, I'm going to close off the show and I thank you very much for um, sharing your story and your journey and your learning um, and I look forward to speaking to you more about it over a um, chicken dinner so uh, I'm a chicken dinner. <laughs> yeah. so everybody thank you very much for listening to this episode with uh, Donovan Hall and I hope you come back to listen to future episodes Andy Vasily.